while his wife was away, the novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote the following. The washing of dishes does seem to me the most absurd and unsatisfactory business that I've ever undertook. If when once washed, they would remain clean forever and ever, which they ought in all reason to do concerning how much trouble it is, there would be less occasion to grumble. But no sooner is it done than it requires to be done again. On the whole, I have come to the resolution not to use more than one dish at each meal. Amen? (laughs) Even in these days of dishwashers, it seems that there are always dishes needing to be loaded, unloaded, still separately washed, a never-ending cycle. The same is, of course, true for laundry. The clothes are never done. The dishes are never done. Dusting and vacuuming is never done. Cleanliness is not next to godliness. Cleanliness is next to impossible, right? Spiritual cleanliness is the same. Spiritual dirt, sin, accumulates constantly without any extra effort. Spiritual cleanliness seems impossible to maintain. A lady asked a preacher one Sunday, why do you keep preaching repentance when it doesn't last? And he asked her, why do you keep taking baths? (laughs) We will never be perfect in this life. And the truth is that none of us are perfect, but we are all in the process of sanctification. It's why we can never look down our noses at any other and say, I'm better than you are. At best, we can say, bear with me. I'm better than I was and God isn't finished with me yet. This morning we come to Numbers chapter 19, a passage that points us to the deep cleaning filled with hope and life that overcomes our dirt, guilt, and shame. So before we read it, let's pray. Lord, as we have worshiped in song, we now worship in study. Grateful for the opportunity to hear your word read and proclaimed that we might receive it as such. We need you to come. And so we pray for your spirit to come now to bear witness to the reading and the proclamation of your word that we would receive it as your word. To that end, as always, we pray for the preacher and know that he is not worthy, but by your grace, he is able. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, Numbers chapter 19 is one cohesive narrative, and so I want to read it together. Uh, It's not as long as some of the other chapters in this book. Let me read it once all the way through, and then we can break it down and drink it in. Listen to God's word. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish, and that has never been under a yoke. Give it to Eleazar the priest. It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Then Eleazar the priest is to take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. While he watches, the heifer is to be burned, its hide, flesh, blood, and oval. The priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool, and throw them into the burning heifer. After that, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He may then come into the camp, but he will be ceremonially unclean till evening. The man who burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he too 
will be unclean till evening. A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. They shall be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for purification from sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he too will be unclean till evening. And this will be a lasting ordinance both for the Israelites and for the aliens living among them. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone will be unclean for seven days. He must purify himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day. Then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and seventh days, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone and fails to purify himself defiles the Lord's tabernacle. That person must be cut off from Israel because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. His uncleanness remains on him. This is the law that applies when a person dies in a tent. Anyone who enters the tent and anyone who is in it will be unclean for seven days. And every open container without a lid fastened on it will be unclean. Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. For the unclean person, put some ashes from the burned purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then a man who is ceremonially clean is to take some hyssop, dip it in the water and sprinkle the tent and all the furnishings and the people who are there. He must also sprinkle anyone who has touched a human bone or a grave or someone who has been killed or someone who has died a natural death. The man who is clean is to sprinkle the unclean person on the third and seventh days, and on the seventh day he is to purify him. The person being cleansed must wash his clothes, bathe with water, and that evening he will be clean. But if a person who is unclean does not purify himself, he must be cut off from the community because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him, and he is unclean. This is a lasting ordinance for them. The man who sprinkles the water of cleansing must also wash his clothes, and anyone who touches the water of cleansing will be unclean till evening. Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean, and anyone who touches it becomes unclean till evening. So this is one of those passages, right? We look at this and go, what in the world is that all about? Well, let's talk about it by first asking, how do, we, how do we deal with dirt? How do we deal with dirt? If we're honest, we must admit that we're not honest about our dirt. Sometimes we simply try to redefine dirty. How dirty are those jeans? Do they need to be washed? Can I still wear them another day? How much dust is too much dust that really now requires dusting and vacuuming? Or, rather than redefining, we try to limit the contamination, and we use only one dish per meal, like Hawthorne suggested. Or we tell the kids they can only play with one toy at a time and have to put it away before another one comes out. Shoes off before you come inside. In fact, you know what? Don't even come inside. Just stand right there. I'm going to get the hose, right? Spiritually, we try to redefine the nature of sin. Since I have to love my neighbor, how about I'll just limit who my neighbor is, avoid people. How many drinks is too many? How many Sundays is is enough? Some try to limit then the contamination, listening only to Christian music, reading only Christian books, only watching Christian movies. Never drink, smoke, or chew, or hang out with those who do, right? Neither redefining 
nor placing external limitations are the biblical approach to the problem of pervasive sin. Actually, the Bible shows the searching nature of God's definition of sin. Like a Marine Corps drill sergeant who can find any speck of dirt and isn't impressed by excuses, the Lord is not impressed by our attempts to excuse, redefine, or promote external legalistic obedience. The Bible searches the heart. The Bible does not define sin as failure to keep an external code of conduct, but focuses on the heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourselves all the time. Impossible. Can anyone really wake up with adoration in the heart before you've relieved your bladder, (laughs) before you've had your coffee? Can we truly love everyone with our whole heart? Everyone? Even, well, most people? (laughs) Even if we lived on a deserted island, we would not lack for opportunities to sin because sin lurks within. And it's revealed by the circumstances of life. Circumstances don't make me mad. There is already something wrong in my heart. The circumstance simply reveals it. And so we have Numbers chapter 19, honesty about sin. First of all, there is a reason that this narrative is included at this point in this book of the Bible. We've just had multiple chapters on the grumbling community and multiple rebellions against going to the promised land, against Moses, against Aaron, against the priesthood. The people are dirty and they know it. And so our passage begins, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish that has never been under a yoke. Atoning sacrifices were always to feature an animal without defect or blemish, a perfect sacrifice to atone for imperfect people. Jesus is the perfect atoning sacrifice for his imperfect people. But this is not an atoning sacrifice. In fact, it's not really a sacrifice at all. It's not placed on the altar, but it's taken outside the camp. This whole narrative, this whole thing happens outside the camp. What is the function of outside the camp? Remember that inside the camp features the tabernacle itself at the center, and then the priests who encamp outside the tabernacle, and then the rest of the community that camps outside of that. And outside the camp is where we now are. It's the place for people to go who have become unclean, that while outside the camp, they might become clean and be restored. Remember a few chapters back that we talked about Miriam, and after her rebellion against Moses, she was to go outside the camp for a time that she might be Uh, made clean and be restored. Chapter five gave the command for those who were ceremonially unclean to be sent outside the camp in order not to defile the rest of the camp. Remember, in the camp was where you dwelt near to God. All the tribes encamped around the tabernacle near to God so that if you were unclean, unholy, you must be sent outside the camp away from the Lord. But then we talked about the New Testament reality, that Jesus was taken outside the camp for us. 
so that we could find holiness and wholeness in him. Hebrews 13 says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Jesus was alienated from God so that we would be alienated no more. Jesus was forsaken so that we would be forsaken no more. Jesus was cut off from the fellowship with his father so that we could have fellowship with the father forever. And so we go to him that we might become clean. So here we have this picture of that restoration process. And so in order to become clean, you must first understand what makes you dirty. Now, what makes our bodies dirty? Well, actual dirt, right? But not just actual dirt, but also sweat and smudges of various things we encounter throughout the day and things from inside our body that come oozing out of our body. At a microscopic level, we know about bacterial germs of various sorts, and a shower can rinse most of these things away. What is it that made a person ceremonially unclean? It wasn't dirt or sweat or bacteria. What made a person ceremonially unclean was death. Verse 11, whoever touches the dead body of anyone will be unclean for seven days. Verse 14, if someone dies in a tent, anyone who enters the tent, anyone who is in it will be unclean for seven days. Verse 16, anyone out in open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. In fact, back in verse 7, the priest who slaughtered the red heifer became unclean because he handled the death of the animal itself. God is vividly showing the reality that God and death cannot coexist. The Lord is the God of life. Death has no place in his presence. But the Lord will ultimately conquer death. And so the Lord is impressing on his people the defiling power of sin, which contaminates us and makes us unfit for his presence. Sin entering the world is why it is that death entered the world. Today, of course, we can go almost our whole lives without coming into contact with a dead body, unless you're a mortician. You may only come near a dead body at a funeral. But the Israelite community was constantly surrounded by death. In fact, they had all just experienced mass casualties following Korah's rebellion. The whole community had been in the presence of mass death. And as a result, none of them could come into the presence of the Lord. They all needed to be cleansed. But how? The water of cleansing. Numbers chapter 19 is a recipe of sorts for making the water of cleansing that will give you the deep cleaning necessary so that you can enter into God's presence again. Look at the parts of this recipe. First was a heifer, a red heifer. Then you add wood, red cedar wood. And then you add hyssop and wool, scarlet red wool. Are you seeing a theme here? The red of the animal, the red of the wood, 
the red of the wool, all focus on the fact that we are cleansed by blood. The entire sacrificial system points again and again to the fact that cleaning, true cleaning, deep cleaning, is by blood. Is there any doubt that all of this points to the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so verse 17 tells us, for the unclean person put some ashes, those red ashes from the burned purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. And so fresh water, literally living water, mixed with the purification ashes is the water of cleansing. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the water of cleansing. Notice that the cost of cleansing was low for the community in need of cleansing, but the cost of the one who made the offering on their behalf was very high. There was the cost of the cow itself. Then anyone who was involved in the slaughter and the making of the purification ashes, they all had to be willing to become unclean in that process. Just as Jesus, who was without sin, had to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And so there's this process then of us becoming clean. In Christ and in Christ alone, we become clean. No matter how dirty we are and no matter what kind of dirt it is. Sometimes we make ourselves dirty by willful disobedience for which we may experience conviction and guilt. Not just so that we feel guilty, but that we might be driven to the cross of Christ who removes our guilt. Sometimes another person sins against us and makes us dirty by their disobedience for which we feel shame, a shame that can drive us to Christ to cleanse us from the shame inflicted on us by the actions of others. And sometimes sin was really not deliberate, but maybe the result of being careless or thoughtless. We're fallen people living in a fallen world, and there's cleansing for that too. Sins of transgression, sins of doing what God forbids, sins of omission, failing to do what God requires, deliberate sin and being sinned against, varying experiences of guilt and shame are all cleansed by the same blood of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice has been made, not by us, but by him. And so God doesn't love us because we're good. We're good because God loves us. Sin then, when you think about it, is the best news there is. Because with sin, there's a way out. You can't repent of confusion or psychological flaws inflicted by parents. You're stuck with that. But you can repent of sin. Sin and repentance are the only grounds for hope and joy, the grounds for reconciled, joyful relationships, the grounds for cleanness. And so we recognize that while our repentance is imperfect, God's redemption is perfect. It was F.B. Meyer, I believe, who once said that when we see a brother or sister in sin, there are two things we do not know. First, we do not know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And second, we do not know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. And we also do not know what we would have done in the same circumstances. 
So we don't become clean by comparing ourselves to others, making ourselves feel better by tearing others down. We become clean by the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a once-in-a-lifetime action. We believe in one baptism for the remission of sin. And it's tied to the once-in-a-lifetime washing made by Jesus. Baptism doesn't actually wash away our sin. Baptism points us to the covenant of grace, the sign and seal of the covenant of grace with Christ as our covenant mediator who is the one that actually washes our sins away. And so in our justification, we are declared perfectly clean by faith in the atoning sacrifice of Christ. In our sanctification, we grow in that cleanness by faith in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which progressively makes a difference in our life. When a baby is first born, people look and immediately say things like, oh, look, she has her mother's nose. Look, he has his father's chin. And as you get older, it continues, and sometimes embarrassingly, you see it in yourself. Oh, no, I sound just like my mother. M.R. DeHaan said, God loves his precious son so much that he wants a whole heaven full of people just like him. In sanctification, we become like Christ. So earlier in the service, we affirmed the biblical teaching about sanctification from the summary in the Westminster Confession. We said, we are sanctified really and personally through the virtue of Christ's death and resurrection, his word and spirit dwelling in us. This sanctification is throughout the whole man, yet imperfect in this life, because remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part doth overcome. We are not perfect and never will be in this life. And there may even be extended seasons in our lives when it seems like we are making no progress And there seems to be no growth or victory. But he who began a good work will bring it to completion. We will overcome. And so in Numbers 19, verse 19, we read, The man who is clean is is to sprinkle the unclean person on the third and seventh days. And then on the seventh day, he is to purify him. Purification takes time and multiple washings. We receive eternal salvation from our initial regeneration, faith, and justification. But we grow in grace. We progress in sanctification over time by continual washing in the fountain of Christ's atoning sacrifice. The same Jesus who saves us is the same Jesus who sanctifies us. The cleansing blood of Jesus saves and sanctifies Gordon MacDonald, in his book, Ordering Your Private World, told him an experience in his life that illustrates this. He says, some years ago, my wife and I bought an old-fashioned New Hampshire farm we call now Peace Ledge. We found the site where we wished to build our country home strewn with rocks and boulders. It was going to take a lot of hard work to clear it all out. The first phase of the clearing process was easy. The big boulders went fast. And when they were gone, we began to see that there were a lot of smaller rocks that had to go too. But when we cleared the site of the boulders and the rocks, we noticed all the stones and pebbles we had not seen before. This was much harder, more tedious work 
but we stuck to it, and there came the day when the soil was ready for planting grass. There are two different aspects to cleaning. There is the decluttering part, right? And then there's the deep cleaning part. Some of us has more skills in one than the other. Um, the decluttering, when you've got a space and stuff all over, and you, you want to get it sorted into nice piles and put it into a place. But as you do that, then you start to uncover the stuff that's around it and underneath it. And then you got to break out the scrub brushes and really get down and dirty and some elbow grease to make things really clean. The big boulders, those initial parts of repentance when we've surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, those things that immediately begin to change because we've come to Christ. But then we progress on to repentance over various parts of our life and we're seeing that we're still gripped by sin in certain parts, but we desire freedom from those things. Each week as part of our worship, we have a time of confession of sin that's always followed by an assurance of pardon. We read John 13 earlier in the service, the occasion when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And at first, Peter rejected Jesus' offer to wash his feet, to which Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And so Simon Peter replied, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. We reject Jesus' offer to wash us clean when we attempt to redefine sin, artificially limit exposure to contamination, or attempt to wash ourselves by our own religious activities. Surrender accepts the offer of Jesus to wash not only our feet, but our whole selves. And so as we heard in the assurance of pardon earlier, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There are times when we don't want to come to worship, when we don't desire to be in God's presence, because we're aware of being a sinner and of having been sinned against. These are the times when we most need to be with the church in worship and to participate in the means of grace, the word, sacraments, and prayer, that we might come near to Christ and that Christ may wash us and give us greater and greater freedom from sin's grip. We don't come to worship in order to get God to love us. We worship the God who already loves us and desires to communicate that love really and personally, that we might experience the washing of regeneration and renewal poured out richly upon us through Jesus Christ, who is the truth that sets us free.